good morning. We're here with Catherine Lyhead. Catherine has joined us previously. She is our uh, friend and the foremost expert, I think, on tax policy in Wisconsin, uh, state policy, senior tax policy analyst. Did I get that right, Catherine, for the Tax Foundation? That's right. Thanks for having me, Mike. I think that's the title. I'm just going to jump right into this. Um, I'm going to do two of my favorite things, which is to make fun of your home state, which is Illinois, but also uh, maybe surprisingly tell some of our listeners how we're actually worse in, in some ways than Illinois, believe it or not. So just to kind of frame this thing, I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw this uh, the other day, Catherine, but the Wall Street Journal had an editorial and they were, they were kind of taking a shot at your home state's governor, uh, Pritzker, who's running, who's talking about running for president, right? Or, or, or is, is, is giving hints that he's going to run for president and is spending a lot of time out of state in Illinois. And the editorial actually said that, hey, uh, you know, maybe he's got a good reason to spend a lot of time out of Illinois because things aren't going well. But the reason I bring all that up is they were talking about slow growth and actually really quick growth in other Midwestern states. And so they said Indiana's GDP, and this is between the first quarter of 2019 and 2022, so over three years period of time, Indiana's GDP increased by 6.1%. Iowa's GDP by 5.2%. Michigan's GDP by 3.7%. I'll hold off on telling you what Illinois was. And then it says, this is in the Wall Street Journal a couple days ago, even slow-growing Wisconsin, 1.6%. I mean, one-fourth, one-third or one-fourth of of these other states around us um, was better than Illinois. Now, that's true, but I just wanted to start with that. Our GDP is, is, is really, really, really slow, and it's indicative of some other things that are going on in our state. As part of our mandate for Madison, we're going to have, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to put this into context and show just how poorly we are comparing to other states and how much more we have to do to be competitive. Um, but I just wanted to kind of frame things that way from the beginning, um, Illinois is actually worse in terms of GDP growth, but that doesn't have, that, that probably is partially due to tax policy, but also all kinds of other things, you know, crime and lousy schools among them. You know, you, you, you know that, uh, you know, some massive businesses are fleeing Chicago for places like Florida, places with no income tax or flat taxes. I wish more of them would come to Illinois, or I'm sorry, not to Illinois, to Wisconsin. I wish more of them would come north. Some of them are. And one way to do it is for us to have a better tax policy. So the reason I bring all this up is all those states that I mentioned, Iowa, Michigan, you know, Iowa's moving in this direction, will be there soon. But Michigan, Indiana, even Illinois have flat taxes. Wisconsin, on the other hand, has one of the top 10 highest top rates on a progressive income tax in the country. And it's really really, uh, detrimental to our growth and our ability to compete with other states. So that's just the way I wanted to preface this. Catherine has worked with us for several years, a couple years ago, put together a 100-page book about pro-growth tax policy in Wisconsin, and has recently updated that. Last week, uh, both we here at the Badger Institute and the Tax Foundation released a uh, an updated version that calls basically for 
uh, a flat tax, has some other options there, has four or five different options that we think would be very advantageous if our politicians sometime in the next year would start to implement some of them. I hope everybody will read that. It's at www.badgerinstitute.org. But in the interim, Catherine, thank you for joining us. And, and I just wanted to kind of chat with you about why a new tax structure is so important here in Wisconsin. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that would really make Wisconsin start to stand out. Right now, Wisconsin is really an outlier when it comes to high income tax rates with that top individual rate of 7.65%, the top corporate rate of 7.9. It has one of the highest top rates in the country of all the states. And so as you see states around you, like you mentioned, Iowa, uh, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, making pro-growth reforms, Wisconsin's increasingly looking more like an outlier and looking more like a high-tax state that it is. So it's becoming increasingly obvious. So the whole point of this paper was to talk about ways that Wisconsin could improve its attractiveness to employers, to small businesses, to try to get the brain drain that the state is experiencing to stop or slow down. Um, you have a great education system there in Wisconsin, but um, you see a lot of recent graduates moving to other places to launch their careers. So this is about trying to make it more, more affordable for them to stay and to find jobs in the state of Wisconsin. Um, so we're really looking forward to presenting some options that we think would improve the state's economic, economic competitiveness for many years to come. Well, before we talk about those options, let's talk some more about what's happening in other states. Approximately half of the states in this country have had some tax reform in the past couple of years. Is, is that accurate? That's exactly right. Yeah, we've seen a large number of states specifically reduce their income taxes. A lot of them have made other pro-growth reforms alongside that. So you mentioned states flattening their income taxes as well. But Wisconsin was one of 13 states to reduce its income tax in 2021. And then 12 additional states have done so, so far this year. And so we've really seen this wave of tax reform where states are looking for ways to make their states more competitive. Yeah, I mean, we did, we did, we have had some reductions in our income taxes, but not in that top rate, though. Exactly. You know what? You and New York were the only states that reduced income tax rates without touching the top rate. Every other state that did income tax reductions reduced either their top or their flat rate. And that's the one that has the biggest impact on entrepreneurship, economic competitiveness, and economic growth. And in the meantime, it's not just reduction of rates. I mean, we have four brackets. There are 13 states that either have a flat tax or are moving toward a flat tax. And then there are another handful, I, I think, that are, that are, getting, that are, that are compressing their, their rates so much that they're getting close to a, to a flat tax. And do, I, do I recall that accurately? Yeah, it's actually been incredible. So in the whole history of state income taxation, we've only seen four states ever convert their graduated rate tax to a flat tax. But within the past year alone, we've seen four additional states make that change. And so increasingly, states are looking at ways to reduce those burdens on entrepreneurs and to really stop penalizing upward mobility and make it a more level playing field where everyone has a chance to succeed and where that income tax isn't going to um, penalize you more, the more you're able to 
more you're able to make for yourself and provide for your family, which is what we're currently seeing. Yeah, in those states that we're talking about, that doesn't even include the states that have totally done away with individual income taxes over time, places like Florida and Tennessee. Exactly. Yep. There are a number of states that completely forgo an income tax and they are able to um, see more in migration and they see greater economic growth from year to year than the states that do have income taxes. And we see among the states that have lower top marginal rates, they're seeing more in migration and more economic growth than their higher tax counterparts. And so really that top rate has been proven to really have a large impact on the state's economy. And so this is about just creating more opportunity for all taxpayers, no matter who you are. Well, let's start with that. I mean, how are some of these states able to completely do away with their individual income tax? I mean, in this in this biennium, it's I think I, you have this in your report. This is it's, it's it's a super interesting. It sounds kind of wonky, but I hope people will read this. It's just it's a fascinating report because I mean, it's really a key issue, right? In in a democracy, I mean, how much are we going to tax people? How much redistribution is there going to be? How much progressivity? Another issue I want to talk about in a moment. But just to get down to the numbers. You know, I think it's 44% of the, of, the, of the tax haul, right, the revenue, the total tax revenue at the state. This doesn't include local tax revenue, like, which, is, which is largely property taxes. But, it's, but 44% of that is individual income taxes, which is somewhere between 8 and $9 billion per year. How, can, how have some of these states totally done away with individual income taxes, Catherine? Now, it's something, something you're not advocating in your report, nor do we think it's feasible. But how are other places doing that? Well, so most of the states that don't have an individual income tax never had one. The one exception is Alaska, where they were able to repeal theirs because it wasn't a major source of revenue. Like you mentioned, the individual income tax is a major source of revenue in Wisconsin, accounting for 44% of state tax collections, whereas the sales tax, which is the next largest source, only accounts for 28%. And so getting rid of the income tax is not something we are trying to advocate for in this report, but rebalancing the structure to avoid some of those more harmful taxes and reduce reliance on them can really make a big difference. And so some of the states like Tennessee and New Hampshire that have some form of income taxes, it's not on wage income, but it is on investment income. Tennessee just phased out its tax as of last year, and then New Hampshire is in the process of doing so. And then we see a number of states also eyeing that possibility. So it could take a very long time, but Kentucky enacted legislation this year that would phase down their rate over time so that eventually, contingent upon revenue growth, they could see um, a no income tax. Now that would be a ways away. Um, but Mississippi, West Virginia, other states are looking at this. And so it's increasingly the direction that we're seeing states want to go, especially as we are seeing an increase in remote work flexibility, where this can be a competitive advantage for states in the Midwest that might, might otherwise struggle. They 
have smaller urban centers than say LA or New York, but they can attract some of those remote workers who want to live in a more affordable place or live closer to family. Um, and so this is a way for Wisconsin to take advantage of that and make it a state that's welcoming to people who want. Well, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, great context and, and great point. I mean, we're at a different time right here than we were a year ago or two years ago in terms of remote work, the ability of people to be to 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 work in one state uh, and and live in another. Um, mobility from state to state. We're at a very different moment in time, which requires us to think, I think, to be more competitive than uh, you know two or four or five years ago. Let alone let alone a hundred years ago. I mean, can you talk to that a little bit? Um, you know, you know as well as I do, kind of the history of the progressive income tax in in Wisconsin. I mean. Was it merited? What's the background on this thing 100 years ago? And was it a good idea then? Is our times different now? In what way? Yeah, a whole lot has changed since then. When Wisconsin was the first state to adopt an income tax that actually survived the test of time, the other states that tried to do so um, weren't able to get it to work. Um, but so Wisconsin was the first state to adopt an income tax that actually worked and the first state where um, it was graduated and then other states adopted different forms. So it was all kind of an experiment. Um, but we've seen over time just how mobile capital has become now. We're in the 21st century economy. If one state imposes really high taxes, you can way more easily move somewhere else than you could a long time ago. Um, So we're seeing just a wave of states wanting to become more competitive. Almost half the states have a lower top marginal rate now than they did 10 years ago, including Wisconsin. But a lot of states have really reduced theirs quite a bit, whereas Wisconsin's was only trimmed from 7.75 to 7.65. So there's quite a ways to go still. Yeah, I mean, we barely reduced ours. We went down a, a, a tenth of a, of a percentage point. The real reductions have been in the lower brackets, uh, the lower brackets. I'm interrupting real quick to remind you that productions like these are only able to exist with support from individuals just like you. If you find value in this program, we're hoping you may want to give just a little bit of value back. The Badger Institute is a nonprofit organization that strives to create opportunity and protect liberty for all Wisconsinites. We do not accept government funding and rely solely on the generosity of individuals like yourself to support our policy and advocacy work. To learn more or make a donation, visit badgerinstitute.org. You wrote in the report that um, that Wisconsin that even with a less progressive income tax structure, Wisconsin's tax and transfer system would continue to be progressive given state and local spending on food and nutrition and federal spending, um, you know, uh, assistance programs, SNAP, uh, WIC, affordable housing, health care, child care. I mean, when we had that progressive income tax implemented, that was long before the New Deal, yet alone, uh, you know, the Lyndon Johnson's, you know, Great Society and all of the all of the social programs that are helpful to people, the safety net programs at the lower end. Um, can you talk a little bit about whether you think the tax uh, – you know, the tax code is, is the best way to, 
structure, regressivity versus you know progressivity in this country, or whether there are other ways that 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 uh, transfer programs actually work. Sure. Well, it's it, Wisconsin, without a doubt, has a very progressive income tax system or a progressive tax system on the whole. Now, the spending side of things is also progressive with most of what the state is spending its money on going toward programs to provide additional assistance to lower income households. So SNAP and WIC, affordable housing and health care, child care, utilities assistance, um, you know, housing, things like that. Um, but then through the tax code as well, there's also quite a bit of progressivity. And we're not saying that all the progressivity should disappear. Um, but we are saying that once you have a certain amount of income, it makes sense to not tax it in a not penalize um, trying to become more upwardly mobile. And so there are things in the tax code that could remain, you know, things like the sliding scale standard deduction, which are options, as I'll talk about in a minute, actually increase. Um, that provides a lot of progressivity, but it's also pretty complex. There's refundable earned income tax credits. There's a refundable homestead credit, where if you have um, eligibility for those credits, you're not paying a net income tax at all. You're actually getting a check from the state. And so that's in addition to any additional assistance you receive through the spending side of things. And so really, when you look at it, there's a lot of effort in all kinds of ways in the tax code to make it progressive. But it might make a bit more sense to focus on spending in a way that meets the needs that the state is trying to meet. Um, while keeping a tax code that does what the tax code is designed to do, which is to raise revenue to fund government services. And if you do that in a way that is neutral and that is pro-growth and avoids imposing unnecessary burdens, um, you're going to create an environment where all people can succeed. Um, so that's really what this looks at. Well, yeah, and so we can have what you're saying, I think, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is we can have a competitive tax structure where we compete, you know, for jobs and growth and businesses in this state, but we can still help folks when they need it at the lower end with a safety net. That doesn't all happen within the tax code. But at the same time, going to a flat tax, what I'm hearing you say, doesn't mean there's not going to still be some progressivity, and maybe even in some ways, more progressivity in the tax code when you talk about things like, you know, changing the standard, the, the, the sliding scale standard deduction in this state. Because w one of the things you suggested is that maybe, you know, people will get a bigger deduction for a longer period of time at the lower end of the, of the income spectrum, right? And then, and then the EITC, the refundable earned income tax credits. I mean, that's another way that, that you know, you can, you can have a flat tax, but you can still uh, make sure that people at the lower end aren't 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 losing out. Am I am I accurately synopsizing part of yeah, part of what absolutely you're, you're suggesting? Yeah, that's correct. You can have a pro growth tax code while also making sure that those who are really struggling to make ends meet aren't paying undue burdens. Uh, they're paying low or even no income taxes, um, paying lower no taxes. Um, or paying low taxes as a whole, um, you can do that while providing a pro-growth environment and while also funding the needs that the state wants to spend its money on. 
So let's talk about some of the wonky stuff, which I find really, really interesting. I mean, you guys spent a ton of time, you know, three years ago, and then again in the last three months, looking at at, at revenue and differences in, in revenue and the possibilities of tax cuts and the, uh, the, the various types of taxes um, in this state. So, I mean, basically, if you look at the state level, Catherine, right, I mean, you know, the, the individual income tax is, you said, 44%, and it's, it's 8 or $9 billion on an annual basis. And then after that, we have uh, pretty substantial revenue from our sales tax and then from our, corporate, from our corporate income tax. Again, you know, in this state, property taxes are really a local revenue source. But um, can you just talk about those three major taxes at the, at the state level and why maybe some are, are better than others in terms of uh, being competitive? Yeah. So like you mentioned, the property tax is primarily a local revenue source. And so while property taxes are fairly high in Wisconsin, that is not a huge focus of our report because by and large, the tax on real property is the best way to fund local government services. And you do have levy limits there that are working well to constrain growth in government and to constrain taxes. So we focus mostly on the state revenue sources here, which are primarily the individual income tax, the corporate income tax, and the sales tax. Now of those, the sales tax is the least harmful of those revenue sources. And it also happens to be one of the lowest taxes that you guys have right now. Um, With a rate of 5%, you have a rate that is lower than almost every single state in the country. Um, And your local option sales tax rate that counties can levy is also fairly low. And so even if you brought that rate up to try to offset some other pro-growth reforms, you could still have a low competitive sales tax rate. Now, all our options don't necessarily propose offsets. The state has a huge surplus right now and has experienced a large amount of ongoing revenue growth and also has a very large rainy day fund. So you're in a good position to be able to extend a net tax cut. And so that's what our all five of our plans propose is a $1.2 billion net tax cut that would be a return of that amount of revenue growth each year two taxpayers. Um, Some of those plans, three of them, raise some revenue through other areas of the code like the sales tax. And so it's actually more than $1.2 billion in tax cuts through the income tax. Um, And then two of our options have no offsets at all. So it's just a tax cut, no strings attached. So the last time you, I'm sorry, the last time you did this for us a few years ago, it was all revenue neutral. In other words, we didn't have as much opportunity to actually give money, I guess, back in a way to, to taxpayers, right? Make sure that they can, they, they have to pay less, but, but now, I mean, the, the latest, um, um, numbers say that at the end of the biennium, the 2021, I guess, 23 biennium, we're going to have, I mean, a surplus of, of, of $3.8 billion. Now, we'll see if that comes to fruition, right? I mean, we'll see what happens with the economy. But, but just to kind of put in context, um, you know, your, your, your proposals, your recommendations, and there are a variety of them, that would mean a loss of only 1.2 billion, I guess, in revenue, a savings of 1.2 billion to taxpayers. But it's in within the context of that surplus over over a couple years of uh, 3.8 billion, right? Exactly. So if you, if the 3.8 billion dollar surplus does come through 
to fruition by June of next year, um, the state will be bringing in about $1.7 billion more than it needs each year. And so you would still be able to provide a $1.2 billion net tax cut while also retaining additional revenue for additional spending needs or whatever the state wants to do. You also have that $1.7 billion set away in your rainy day fund, which would cover about 9% of annual spending needs. And so there is an opportunity to return some of this extra revenue to taxpayers while also making the tax code more friendly to growth and more likely to attract and retain residents, which will also help promote growth. Um, so the state is in a really good position this year. And as you've seen, states all around are doing this. And so if now it does make sense to be careful, um, we don't know what the economy is going to do, but um, the state's rainy day fund can help cover that. And also revenue triggers are an option where you can set these tax reforms to triggers where you say, these are contingent upon revenue meeting certain expected growth levels. And if it doesn't, the taxes aren't cut, but they are when those revenue levels are met. So there's very responsible ways to do this. Yeah, great context. So getting a little more into kind of some of the options again, um, you know, individual income taxes, corporate taxes are more destructive because they're a tax on on labor. They're, they're sort of a disincentive. Is that a fair way to put it? Yep. The corporate income tax, you know, you hear about it a lot in the media as um, this tax on corporations. But when you get down to it, the burden of that tax is actually falling on all of us. Um, it's falling on workers in the form of lower wage wages than they'd make otherwise and on consumers in the form of higher prices, on shareholders with lower returns to pension plans and 401ks and IRAs, all kinds of other investments. So this tax is really impacting all of us. And it's also a really volatile revenue source where right. there are plenty of years where corporations don't have a net net profits. They have let net losses, especially during economic downturns. So the corporate income tax is the one that sees the biggest troughs during recessions. And that leaves the state without the ability to spend on the things it planned to spend on. And so moving away from that as a major source of revenue would be wise. And that's something that a lot of other states have done so that not as much revenue is coming from such a volatile revenue source. Yeah. So we're here with Catherine Lawhead from the Tax Foundation. And the name of the paper that uh, Catherine wrote and that uh, we're releasing jointly, the Badger Institute and the Tax Foundation, is tax reform options to improve Wisconsin's competitiveness. And one of the things I really like about this paper is the footnotes. I mean, honestly, this is stuff, this stuff that people don't read, but what you're saying right now about the difference between the destructiveness of individual and corporate income taxes versus sales taxes, um, there, are, there are references to, to a multitude of, of papers, data, history, studies that, that show that this is true. And just, just briefly, I'm still trying to get to the options before we have to sign off in, in less than 10 minutes. Why are sales taxes less destructive? Why are sales taxes? No, ta no, 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 no tax is, is great for growth, but why are, they, why are they less destructive? Consumption taxes, sales taxes at either, you know, at, at any level than, than what we've already talked about, individual or corporate income taxes? Sales taxes are less destructive because they're less likely to influence people's behavior and businesses' yeah. behavior. Um, you have some amount of ability to choose what you spend money on, 
But when you add the sales tax in addition to the income tax, if you think about it, the sales tax is just a tax on what you're spending now, whereas the income tax is taxing is a form of double taxation. It's taxing what you earn to spend now, and then you're taxed by the sales tax again. And the income tax is also taxing what you're earning to save now and spend later. And so if you could really move away from relying so heavily on that, you're going to not be in, you're not going to be double taxing people as heavily. Um, and you're going to just be creating an environment where there's a little more freedom to be able to, um, work and invest and not worry as much about that tax burden, um, growing the more you do those activities. Thank you, Catherine. Um, so with all that as, uh, as, as background and framing in this state right now, uh, well, let's just talk about individual income taxes for a second. We have four brackets, and they range from between, you know, uh, 3.5% at, at the lowest level to um, up to 7.65%. And that's both for single filers and people who are filing jointly married as, as, married, uh, as married couples. Um, the corporate income tax is 7.9%, also just ve- very high in this country. Uh, and the sales taxes, the statewide sales tax is 5%, although we also have a local option tax that most counties that most counties exercise. So I think the average ends up being 5.4% or something like that, Catherine, if you, if you look at it across the entire state. It differs from county to county. But, um, right. So um, you have four options, and we, we, don't have, we don't have time to go through all of them. Again, they're, at, they're on our website. They're at the Tax Foundation website. Ours is um, badgerinstitute.org. But four of those options propose going to essentially a flat income tax that's between you know, uh, uh, 4.1% basically and 5.1%. How'd you come up with those numbers? Why, why, four, why four or five? Well, there's a few reasons for that. Um, One is just trying to really prioritize that. So if we say that there's about $1.2 billion in a net tax cut available, a lot of that revenue should go toward reducing the individual income tax rate because that's the rate paid by a lot of pass-through businesses. 95% of Wisconsin's businesses are structured as pass-throughs where they're paying this tax. They're not paying the corporate income tax. And so this is falling on them. It's falling on Main Street businesses. So prioritizing putting that uh, revenue reduction toward this tax, and then also trying to get lower than states like Illinois. Illinois is at 4.95% for its top or it's, you know, flat rate on individuals, but it's actually taxing pass-through businesses at 6.45%. So this would make Wisconsin a lot more competitive than Illinois, but you're still having to compete with states like Michigan and Indiana, which have flat rates of 4.25% and 3.23 going lower as we speak. Um, And so that's what we're trying to prioritize with that rate. And isn't Iowa, um, Remind me what they're going to under four by 2026, aren't they? If things if they if they have the, the triggers that they that they expect. Yep, I think they're trying to get to 3.9 percent um, okay. over time. It's starting with moving to six percent as of next year, and so when Iowa moves to six percent, Wisconsin and Minnesota will be left as the only states from New York to California with such high rates. All the other Midwestern, Western Great Plains, Southern states all have lower rates. 
I mean, I did not realize that till I read your paper, and that was one thing I got through it. I've read it a couple times now, but that really stuck with me. I mean, Minnesota, where where I grew up, and I and and Wisconsin here, uh, you know, right next door. Uh, we have the we we when Iowa goes so low, especially, we're going to have the highest top individual income tax rates in the entire country, absent absent the states on the coasts, on the east and west coast, and. That is that is a stunning statistic to me, and it just shows how uncompetitive we are. Right. Yep. When you really look at it, it's kind of glaring, actually, especially when you consider just the wave of tax reform that other states have made over the past 10 years. And it really pays dividends. Our plans look at ways that you could do it all at once, but even starting with incremental reforms could be really good, as we've seen in states like North Carolina, which has went from becoming from being one of the worst states on taxes to one of the best. So did Indiana and um, chipping away a little at a time as Iowa is going to be doing is going to make a lot more businesses and individuals look at these states and say, you know what, I could live there. I could be start my business there. Um, it'd be a better place to do it than a lot of other states. Yeah. I don't want to be too simplistic. Uh, there isn't, there is an option that, uh, that uh, is proposed that, that would, um, sort of condense, I guess, uh, the brackets, bring down the top rate a, a little bit. It's not a flat tax structure, but when you talk about moving incrementally, there is an option, you call it option E, where the top, the top rate, you know, comes down to 7.2%. Um, and then there are some other, some other changes that I, I, you can, again, go, people can go look and, and, and read this at our websites. Um, but most of them are moving to a flat tax. And at the same time, you have, you know, uh, a variety of, of proposals that would, for the most part, bring down that corporate income tax a little bit less. But from, you know, I think, we're, again, we're at 7.9%. One of them leaves it at 7.9. But then you have a variety of options that could bring it down, you know, as low as 5.5%. The other, the other commonality, I guess, is, um, you know, what happens with uh, the sales tax. And let's talk about that for a second, because there, there are two ways to rely a little more on the sales tax and one is by raising the sales tax but one is also by broadening what do you mean by that yeah so when you think about the sales tax you have to think about the basket of goods and services to which it applies and there's a lot of things that still aren't taxed in wisconsin that really could be and most of those are consumer services so if you wanted to newly expose say hair and nail services and health clubs uh repair of real property things like that to the sales tax you wouldn't even have to raise the sales tax rate you could just broaden that base and that would free up additional revenue to bring down the income tax. And aren't now, some of those you, things, if you're talking about eliminating exemptions, aren't some of those things that um, that um, would hit the higher income folks a little more because those are services they use? Absolutely. Things like interior design services and health clubs, travel clubs, auto clubs, those are much more often consumed by higher income individuals. So this in some ways would make the sales tax more progressive than it is now by exposing it to things that are tax-free that really there's no justification for those things being tax-free. It was more a historic accident where when the sales tax was originally enacted, 
goods were a much bigger part of the economy than services. And so there weren't the same amount of emphasis on services, but now it's a big part of the economy that's just not exposed to sales taxes. So we have to kind of wrap things up, but again, I wish, I wish we could spend more time on the options and there are a variety of them. Basically all of them would enable us to give a $1.2 billion a year tax cut, but you also have options that have various different net tax cuts of up to at least of up to two billion dollars that would you know that would enable us to have you know higher or lower in this instance lower you know flat taxes for instance um so the the really interesting thing about this paper is it doesn't have to be you know people could adopt you know your your primary i guess i guess you know possibilities or recommendations and have a 1.2 billion dollar a year savings but but you guys also lay out with some analysis, hey, you know, what happens if we have a flat tax under option A of, of, of 3.80, you know, instead of, of 4.15, you know, not to get too wonky. But, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, then you'd have a, t- a net tax cut of $2 billion. So what I really love about this is you're not being too prescriptive. We're not just laying out one option. There are a variety of options, and it will enable people to be a little bit more nimble, our policy makers to be a little bit more nimble based on what the, what the, what the revenue is actually and the surplus is actually going to be, um, you know, a year, a year down the road. So, um, but, but you know, you, what you also do, and, and if people are not aware of this, the Tax Foundation on an annual basis puts out a ranking of states. I think you guys call it your business tax climate rankings. Is that right? Yep, the State Business Tax Climate Index. You're 27th now, so slightly below average, but four of our plans would get you into the top 10, which is an incredible leap. Yeah, so you have us, uh, you know, options A, B, C, D, you know, get us between eighth and ninth in the entire country on on tax policy, and that's for you know that, that's that would be transformational, wouldn't it? In in terms of uh, attracting again jobs and business and growth and uh, enabling upward mobility. So I'm I'm really excited about the possibility. Even option E, which is um, the one we haven't really talked about so much, it's a little more complicated, but it entails bringing down the top rate just a little bit. Would it bring us down to 21st um, from from 27th? So we just have we have huge opportunity here. Uh, sometimes it's kind of hard to get people's attention to talk about tax policy, Catherine. But um, what I really love about the the paper that you put together is you make it so accessible. I mean, there there are a lot more complicated things or other things we can do that we haven't talked about. You know, the throwback rules and more on the sliding scale standard deduction and all that stuff. But um, it's all very accessible and understandable. And I just, I hope that, I hope that folks, let alone our policymakers and our politicians will take a close look at this because it's one of the fundamental ways that we have, we have control of, of really making this a better, more productive place for everybody. So, um, let me just throw it back at you. Are there other things that we've missed or that you want to talk about, um, in terms of what you're proposing or the context of it and how important it is? Well, one of the things I really love about the options we came up with is that they hold lower income individuals harmless. So they raise the standard deduction so that when you get to a flat rate, you're not raising income taxes on anyone. Everyone will see a net income tax cut. Um as the state becomes more competitive. So it's really a win-win here. And I think it's very feasible for the state. Um, And I think 
you know, now is the time to do this where there's a revenue buffer, there's revenue growth. And while we don't say that tax cuts pay for themselves, that's not something that um, we would say is, well, tax cuts don't pay for themselves. They will create a more pro-growth environment that can help bring in more revenue at lower rates for years to come. Catherine Lawhead from the Tax Foundation, thank you again for joining us uh, for all the work you've done uh, in the recent three, four years on uh, pro-growth tax policy in Wisconsin. Um, I hope that we'll see you in person in the state and the over the over the course of the next year. And I look forward to talking to you um, again about about the proposals that uh, you've put together and that uh, we're happy to be a part of here at the Badger Institute because um, again, just uh, huge possibilities here for making this state um, a better a better place for everyone. So really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Likewise, thanks, Mike.